0: This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 17th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Many thanks again to Walt. Bond for just bringing it last week. Walter is quite the inspiration, and if you judge people by the company they keep, Walter is top shelf all the way. And if everyone placed value on relationships and team to the extent that Walter does, well, the whole world, much less just franchising, would be a better place to live. And with that as a backdrop, my guest today also fits squarely into that space. Today, I'll be talking with John Ramsey, Vice President of Franchising for the iconic Noodles & Company. John's background spans over 28 years of experience in restaurant and franchise development with such icons as TGI Fridays, Jack in the Box, Marco's Pizza, and Bruxy International. John joined Noodles & Company in November as Vice President of Franchise Development. While many restaurant concepts in this COVID, post-COVID era have been hitting the brakes, Noodles & Company has doubled down as the Colorado chain, with John leading the franchise development charge, hits the gas driving Noodles' restaurant growth initiatives. John's history includes positions in both franchise and restaurant development, and he's extremely excited to have the opportunity to grow and further develop a proven concept like Noodles and Company. As we'll discuss today, Noodles has innovated and adapted quickly to the off-premise experience and offers attractive unit-level economics for franchisees. I'll be back in two minutes or less with John Ramsey. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. Noodles & Company offers the world's favorite noodle dishes, salads, and soups all in one restaurant. Each dish is carefully handmade to the guests' specifications, using only the freshest ingredients. Noodles proudly uses real food and real cooking for real flavors. Their dishes are inspired by the individuality, creativity, and cultural heritage of cuisine from around the globe. From penny rosa to Japanese pan noodles, the med salad, and of course, their famous Wisconsin mac and cheese, only the most authentic ingredients make the cut. While they don't like to brag, Noodles & Company is honored to be the recipient of several business and industry awards. These include Forbes Magazine, Top 100 Most Trustworthy Companies in America, Eat This, Not That's 35 Hottest Healthy Restaurants in America, Nation Restaurant News Menu Masters Award winner, NBCNews.com Top 10, Best Love Brands, Parent Magazine, Top Family Friendly Restaurants, Health Magazine, America's Healthiest Fast Food restaurants, and Inc. Magazine's 5,000 recognizing America's fastest growing private companies for some 10 of the last 20 years. There's a story here, and here to tell it is John Ramsey. John Ramsey, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Happy to have you. You know, I went and did a little homework on who I'd be talking with today, and I found a unique fact. I don't see this often when I search for someone on LinkedIn, but I found John Ramsey and Stan Friedman share 1,015 LinkedIn connections. That's a big number. How do we not know each other before this?
1: Well, that, that's a good question. I, I think I think we do know each other and, and would be uh, and I think we'd hug and embrace once we saw each other.
0: <laughs> Fair and equitable. Hey, John, let's do what I always do. Let's, let me ask you to help the audience understand how franchising found you. What were you doing? When was it? And what was the intersection? What did that look like for you? I sort of came into this a little bit different way. I'm actually an
1: architect by training. After graduating from Virginia Tech with my architecture degree, I moved to New York City with plan A being to be designing skyscrapers, living in a loft and surrounded by like-minded Renaissance people. But uh, plan A did not work out. So like many people, I worked in restaurants and retail all through high school and college. So plan B was to work retail for the holiday selling season, then back to plan A. So I started working at Bloomingdale's in New York City. I wound up staying there for seven years. What I discovered was that every large company has an in-house development department. Uh, So I used my architecture background and my retail experience and I became a store designer and then store construction. To me, this is really critical to who I am since I understand that the money's made on the sales floor or at the restaurant, or as we like to say at Noodles, one bowl, one guest at a time. I also believe it's a good reason that a good restaurant company calls their office the support center and not the corporate office because our mission is to support the restaurants. So that's how I got started. And I think that's really important as to who I am and how I conduct my Now, franchising after Bloomingdale's, I had the opportunity. I followed a coworker to Sbarro. Uh, Sbarro had just gone public, growing at 100-plus restaurants a year. They were all company-operated. A few years in, we got approached by the Marriott Corporation. Uh, they wanted to put Sabaro style uh, food court-style locations in airports and travel plazas, which, by the way, now we call that non-traditional. But at the time, that was a pretty radical idea, putting branded food in these type of locations. Mm-hmm. So a franchise agreement was drafted and sort of by default, by the way, it was drafted by another longtime IFA member. We didn't even have in-house franchise department or in-house franchise council. But by default, I became the primary contact because I was the development guy. and I quickly learned the difference between answering to a boss of company operations versus working with a support team. So I quickly learned my skill set. I needed to mm-hmm. add diplomacy, negotiation, flexibility. This all became part of who I am and how I behave. So that's how I got into
0: it. And why don't you walk us from there to what came next and how your career in and around franchising unfolded?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the so after Sabaro, uh, and by the way, they went through a phase where not unusual, that they were growing very quickly. It was a, the family who, although were public, controlled the business, decided to take it private again, wanted to contract. And guess what got cut? Franchising. And so um, I got approached by Long John Silver's. I had never done franchise sales before and they actually approached me for a franchise sales position. And you know, I go and I meet with the team, I start talking with them. And I sort of ask the question, well, gee, why, why do you want me to do this? The response was that number one, we believe in people. Uh, we believe in cross training. Uh, we believe that with your background of supporting a franchisee and being involved with the development, that you offer a critical role that we need. And it wasn't about uh, selling per se, because I'm not a salesperson by nature, but it was really about supporting the franchise community and leading the growth charge. So that was really the beginning for me of sort of taking the knowledge that I had gained, adding franchise sales, to my experience level. And from there, it just took off. So over the years, I have worked for many different companies, both large and small. I've worked for startups where company operation uh, brand wanted to start franchising from scratch, which was very exciting. So I literally got to write the agreement, got to establish a department, uh, establish policy, procedure, process, all that type of thing. But, um, you know, I think for me all along, It was never forgetting, again, where the money's made. The money's made in the restaurant. And it wasn't about just selling deals. It was about getting the right partners. It was about having growth that was sustainable. And that, for me, is really
0: important. Well, that's part of why you're here today, because... Sustainable is one of the buzzwords that this podcast is all about, sustainable growth and sensible franchising. And it sounds like with some of your early career moves, you've been much in that mindset. So take us up from there closer to the current day and bring us up to the present because we've got a lot to focus on today in our discussion about Noodle.
1: Sure. So you know, I, I sort of go back to, I think when I think of the present day, I really have to go back to the recession, 2008, 2009. Again, like a lot of people went through a career change rather unexpectedly and really- Really saw firsthand the impact. You know, it's one thing, the impact to me personally, but within the franchise community, what the recession did is it really, to me, brought out or highlighted the fact that so many individuals had leveraged their 401k. They had leveraged equity in their home to sort of start their dream of becoming a franchisee. And I saw so many people get hurt, so many people not recover. And it really left a mark on me that from that point on, I've been very focused on, number one, making sure that I'm aligned with the brand that recognizes the value of people and that this is not just a financial transaction and I'll I'll use your word sustainability (laughs) right that this is a long-term relationship it's most likely going to outlive me and my tenure but for the franchisees folks that are signing up to be part of the brand you know they're looking at a 20-year time frame and they're putting a lot on the line personally And so I take that very seriously and uh, I think that's really what has brought me to today.
0: Well, I'm curious about Noodles and as a concept, it has some unique aspects about it that I see from a business point of view. But before we get to those, I would certainly ask you to give the audience that may not be familiar with the brand a little history about Noodles and the value proposition that it provides to its consumer base.
1: Sure, absolutely. So first of all, Noodles started in 1995 in the Denver area and and it was really a pioneer or sort of one of the leaders of the fast casual movement. If, if you think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, brands like Panera Bread were coming on stream. Chipotle was a small up and coming brand. Qdoba. I had the fortune of, of in 2000 working for a brand called Rubio's Baja Grill out here in San Diego, who also was a pioneer in the fast casual segment. And I uh, discovered noodles for the first time. And we, like a lot of folks at that time, we would take these trips different parts of the country to visit these fast casual brands to see what they were doing, how they were doing it, what was different, what we could use for ourselves. And so my first experience was the noodles was in 2001 in Denver. And really what noodles, the way I would describe noodles, first of all, celebrating 25 year anniversary this year, founded in 1995. The concept was really based on the premise where you could go to one restaurant to get great meal options, but it was not tied to a specific region. And when I say region, meaning it was not Italian, it was not Asian, not barbecue, nor was it a protein, right? It's not a chicken restaurant or, or a hamburger restaurant or a pizza restaurant, but really using noodles and pastas as a unifier. So if you think of that, being able to go to one place so whether you're craving, you know, sort of a comfort bowl of mac and cheese or something more complex like pad thai or sort of classic Italian like spaghetti and meatballs, noodles is a place for you. So noodles is a restaurant where you could go and get this for variety of meal options that sort of span across Different regions, different proteins, very customizable, and so that was really the premise of what started the brand, and what and it's um, sustained it for these twenty five years.
0: And how has the footprint changed over the course of that twenty five years? And has the focus of food on premise versus food consumed elsewhere played a big role in the changes that have occurred across the years?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. Right. So, with respect to the footprint, uh, as I mentioned, the brand started in Denver. We're now nationwide. Uh, However. if you look on a map, we have approximately 450 locations across the U.S. If you look on the map, uh, we call it I call it the rainbow distribution. We kind of go from California, then if you sort of go up very heavy in the mountain states, Colorado, Utah, up into the upper Midwest, uh, we're very strong in places like Milwaukee and Minneapolis, uh, Green Bay, uh, Chicago, uh, down into Pennsylvania, the Carolinas, all the way down into Florida. So sort of this rainbow effect of where the locations were spread out over time. One of the things they did really well from a development standpoint is they didn't take a shotgun approach, so they didn't put one or two in every city. Once they went into a market, they really focused on developing out those markets to be fully penetrated. So not surprisingly today, our best performing markets or those markets were, A, we've been the longest, but more importantly, that we have a high concentration of restaurants. So it really drives that brand awareness and drives that convenience factor. You ask about the off-premise, and that's one of the other, I think, benefits of what attracts me to noodles, if you take the premise that we defined the brand sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID, pre-COVID, noodles was already very heavily into off-premise dining. Over 50% of the occasions were off-premise already, which was great, right? That's what really positioned us to grow sort of post-COVID. And one of the, I believe one of the reasons for that is that if you think of pastas, you think of noodle dishes, they travel very well. They stay hot, they stay fresh, it's easy to transport. And so from off-premise, other types of food, obviously, that you'd want to eat in a restaurant or have and get that dining experience don't necessarily travel well. Noodles product always traveled well. And again, we already had that sort of built-in off-premise model. When COVID hit, we were in a good place to start, but we recognized very quickly that we needed to do some innovation and adaptations to the concept. The first was really enhancing the digital experience. So we have a very robust, easy to use online ordering system. We have a very easy to use and customizable native app, which I think is one of the best in the industry. Very easy to use, very easy to customize your meal. Obviously you build in your payment system. We've recently even done things, for example, where when you pull up to the restaurant, it'll tell you that your food's ready. You can click on a button that says, hey, I'm here and notify somebody in the restaurant and they'll bring it out to you curbside. So it could truly be a touchless experience cashless experience. And again, the, you know, the meals to come to you in a high quality container, easy to take with you back to where you get to eat. I think the other piece of really driving our success post COVID was we all saw in the restaurant industry, the shift in day part, right? If you think of people no longer working in the office, therefore you sort of traditional take a break from the office and have lunch changed. So those lunch occasions, real, I would say, I think really across the industry have really shrunk. Uh, and become much more difficult to achieve sort of that lunchtime business as we as we knew it. The flip side of that is that the dinner occasion, I think, really increased. A lot of us were stuck at home. You know, at a certain point, you get tired of cooking every meal. You want to sort of get back to some level of normalcy, so you can't eat out, per se. So you want to bring dinner in. And by the way, now you're bringing dinner in for the whole family. So again, it's a little bit different than at lunchtime where you're typically just buying it for yourself or maybe your coworker. The noodles brand and the menu really adapt itself very well to satisfying a family. So if you think of a family of four or five, six people, everybody gets to order their own meal. So if you have dietary restrictions, we have gluten-free options. We have low-carb options. You have low carb options. know, One of my favorites is the zoodles, which is the zucchini noodles, which by the way, all of this can be substituted in any dish, substitute with a zoodle noodle, which is a healthier option. And for kids, the mac and cheese, spaghetti and meatballs is sort of a sure thing. Butter noodle, things like this. So it really has that breadth of menu that really adapts itself well to customizing, to having a a majority of entrees for a large group who everybody wants something
0: different. Do you guys do salads? We do salads.
1: And in fact, uh, we're testing right now and continue to innovate on the salads. And this gets to some other pieces when you start talking about sort of operations and innovation within operations is that we recognize we can't, number one, we can't be everything to everybody. But number two is you can't have too broad of a menu because especially in this world of all premise, the ability to be able to quickly execute a high quality product, there is a limitation as to what you could have on your menu, how many SKUs you could have in the restaurant, all those type of things. So we're constantly looking for what are the right two, three, four sounds to have on the menu that give a broad enough appeal, something unique and different that people can choose from.
0: You bring back some really old memories for me of my days at Wing Zone. We had, I think, 84 items in inventory, which made us a really easy operation. We had salads, but we had salads because we wanted them to be the pushback against menu veto. So the the guys that are in front of a ballgame watching the TV all want their wings, but they don't control the phone. So the female in the household (laughs) would be the one placing the order. And if we didn't have an accommodation with salads, we'd have lost many, many, many orders. They otherwise wouldn't have found us. So I asked about salads because I remember good old menu veto. I also think that your average ticket must have really jumped dramatically with that shift in day part. And even if there was an offset to that lunch business not being as frequent, the average ticket should certainly have more than compensated for that on a business perspective. We're going to come back from a quick break, continue our conversation with John Ramsey, who is the VP of Franchise Sales for Noodles & Company. And we're going to talk more about this growing enterprise that was literally built for the economy that we found ourselves in in this COVID era. But first, this word from our sponsors. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time your prospects simply answer a few questions online and like magic zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice dice and analyze their thresholds for risk their business acumen and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball but there's no hoodoo here it's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee franchise or compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zorical spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoricalprofiles.com. And our conversation continues with John Ramsey, Vice President of Franchise Sales for Noodles & Company. So let's talk some about the evolution of the company. Has it always been a publicly held company?
1: It has not. Like many companies, it's, it's time and it's history. It's been privately held. It's been public. I think we've been public, I want to say since around 2004, but uh, don't quote me on that. I don't know the exact date.
0: And has there been a change in the leadership in terms of public-private days, or has there been any leadership changes? Are or the original founders still in the business? So
1: there's been changes, although I would I would point out two, two sort of interesting facts with us. First of all, our current CEO, Dave Bonenhausen, has been with us for over 15 years. So he's only been the CEO for the last, I think, five years or so, but he's been with the brands for for 15 plus years, so an incredibly deep knowledge of the brand, of the people, of the franchise community. And I think that's been a really wonderful thing for the for us, our company, to have that level of continuity. And he's done a really wonderful job of being able to take a lot of the innovation that's been created over the years, and mold that into where we are today, especially in this post-COVID scenario.
0: So let's talk about the franchise side of the business, because it's it's a very unique thing for me to see a company that has the large number of units that you guys do have a franchise division that represents probably, what, fewer than 100 of the 450 locations. Is that about right? That's
1: correct. So uh, we have approximately 11 franchise groups that control about 80 restaurants.
0: And so these are large multi-unit, multi-flag type operators that you're seeking is what I gained from that.
1: We are, and you ask about the founder. So another interesting fact is that one of our largest franchisees was the roommate of our founder. And so we have several franchisees like him who grew up in the Denver area, became fans of the brand, and then became some of the first franchisees and moved to new markets to sort of see the brand, if you will, in these new markets and have stayed there, which is pretty nice.
0: So help me understand how and why this company has an interest in franchising when it has such a large company-owned division. Where are the lines drawn between whether an area becomes franchised or whether the growth is going to stay organic and internal?
1: Yeah, so I sort of alluded to this before with our footprint. A couple of things I would, I would say about that. Uh, first is we've been franchising since 2004, so this is not a new venture to us. And we, we have great franchisees. They're very loyal to the brand. Uh, they're very happy with the brand. Uh, very good relationship with the franchise community, which is a, obviously a good thing. So we're, we're sort of starting off from a place of strength with our existing franchisees and community. And by the way, they're poised to grow as well. So you'll continue to see growth from those existing franchise groups. From a company operations standpoint, and probably some of this history goes back to your other question about was it public, was it private, right? Like a lot of companies, you go through these stages where at certain points you get, especially if you're privately held or publicly held, you have access to a large amount of capital. All That capital gets deployed to build out the company restaurants. One of the smart things that Noodles has done is, again, they've concentrated their company growth in some very specific markets. And so we continue to see our company division growing, which is good. However, there's so much room for them to grow in markets where we already have a footprint that they're easily going to be able to spend the next three, four, five years in those markets without having to venture outside. So that then begs the question, okay, well, if you want to continue to grow, you're going to need to add new markets. What's the best way to add a new market? Because we have this track record of success with franchising, franchising was a natural way to go about developing the brand in these new markets. So that's the goal, and that's really what How does that
0: look operationally? Are there separate support teams and separate resources deployed for the franchise division versus company-owned? Because you know how that can look sometimes in companies that have company-owned operations as well as franchise. There can be a little fuzzing of lines sometimes as to which resources get deployed to who and when and how based on corporate need. How do you balance that at Noodles?
1: Yeah, so I think the it's a great question. And you're right. I mean, I think for a lot of companies, that does become a challenge. And I've certainly seen it firsthand and I've lived through it. One of the things about Noodles that's really unique in a strength of the brand is a, is a value system. We have very strong value system in place. And the value system is really based around people, how we treat each other, and specifically how we treat our team members and so we place our team members at the top of the pyramid we recognize that all of our success and sales come at the restaurant level and it's the folks our team members at the restaurant level and by the way whether the company or franchise we really recognize that they're the ones that we need to support and that's where we need to put our energy so you then translate that to the support system you ask about i know when you talk to folks within our team first of all they don't differentiate between company and franchise so when they talk about supporting a restaurant, it's just that, it's supporting a restaurant. And they're supporting the restaurant because they believe it's important and they believe in the values of the brand. So it's all rooted back in this value system, making sure we're we're recognizing that you're supporting people and you're supporting the people in the restaurants first and foremost. So there's not a distinction there. The other positive aspect of that support network is because we have such a large base of corporate restaurants, couple things happens. Number one is that virtually every critical position at the sport level is filled, right? So we're not sort of starting from scratch. So when you talk about training teams, real estate, design, development, all these different areas, there's highly qualified individuals in those spots already. So it's not like we have to wait for a certain time before we can start adding people. So I think that's a really important part of being able to build on the infrastructure that we have in place. So as we add new franchisees, it's not burdening the system. If anything, it's providing growth opportunities for the folks who are already with us.
0: Great, great to hear. And I'm very impressed by companies that employ high value systems in their internal operations and out to the franchisees as well as the employees on the front line. You can have a great corporate culture corporately, but you're breathing your own ether sometimes inside an insular environment if that's not bleeding down to franchisees and frontline employees. And it sounds like you've got that covered from top down and bottom back up. That's right. I agree. So the only other stress point I wanted to ask about with a company that's structured like yours is the public versus private organizations and franchising. And do there come times where the value to a stakeholder is different, stakeholder being a franchisee, than what might be a fiduciary responsibility to a shareholder? And how do you go about that balancing act at Noodles & Company?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a very valid question and very important that does get discussed and talked about internally, right? So well, as you know, we've talked about, I've been in franchising for a long time. I've had the benefit of working for both public companies and private companies, large and small. So I've seen things happen, <laughs> good and bad. And for my My perspective, and my experience, there's really two pain points with franchisees. Number one is the relationship and number two is profitability. So when you talk about the relationship, I really define that as trust and integrity, which really requires listening, inclusion. It's our actions, it's our behaviors. So if you don't have trust and if you're not operating from integrity, To me, it doesn't matter whether you're publicly held or privately held, you're not gonna have a good relationship with your franchisees, therefore it's gonna be broken. I've talked about our value system that we live with and it's such a part of who we are. That is so critical and so important to have that in place and having that really a foundation to make sure that your relationship stays, operate from a level of integrity. So I'd say that's really number one, again, regardless of our corporate structure, that's important. The second is profitability. Now this one to me is an interesting one because I certainly have seen, and I'm sure you have too, Where decisions get made uh, often at a support center level, whether they be around food or equipment, that changes the dynamics of your restaurant profitability, whether it's food cost, labor cost, or equipment Uh cost right? A decision gets made that that impacts that. Well, you think about a a company like ours, and I can tell you that since we own and operate over 350 locations, every little thing we do is amplified. So we're very aware uh, when we test a product or test a piece of equipment or test an operational change, whatever it may be, what the impact is to that unit level profitability, sales and profitability. Whereas I would argue that if you had less company restaurants and you needed to boost, and now this gets to your question around a public company, If you need to boost your earnings, what are you going to do? Well, you're more concerned about driving sales. So you might make a decision to drive sales at the restaurant level. That may help your royalty stream. However, it's detrimental to your franchisees because it's impacting, again, their food costs their labor costs or cost of a piece of equipment. So I think having that level of awareness, level of sensitivity to anything that we do at the restaurant level of making sure that, yes, you want to drive traffic, yes, you want to drive sales, and you have to constantly be innovating and looking for ways to do that. But you also were were very aware of and very conscious of what the impact is to those unit level economics.
0: I would say asked and answered, and I think quite well at that. So much obliged. Tell us who you're looking for in this franchise quest. We talked about the multi-unit, multi-flag, larger type operators. Are those your exclusive targets or can someone with a lower profile financially still take advantage of opportunity with noodles?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I love that question because having done this for quite a while, some of the best franchisees that are now on that top 200 list, I knew them when they had a single restaurant. And so it sort of begs the question, okay, do I just then want to bring in folks who have already proven that they could own and operate 20 restaurants. I like to think, where is that next person going to come from? Right. Because everybody starts with one or starts with a small group of restaurants. Where are they? Where are they going to come from? So I really look at our vetting process, our selection process. I don't want to use sort of a singular approach to say, you must meet these minimum criteria, such as a financial criteria or an operational ownership criteria. However, I look at a broader perspective to say, okay, well, what are the attributes that we're looking for for a strong franchisee? Restaurant experience is one of them. Financial ability is one of them. I would also include development experience. Have you built a restaurant before? Have you hired a contractor before? Have you pulled a building permit? You know, that, That's a, sort of an important part of this, this journey and experience of becoming a, a franchisee. Business acumen. Have you owned a business before? Have you owned a franchise business before? Do you understand the distinction between a franchise business versus an independent business? And then, lastly, one of my favorites is personal character. How do you show up in your community? Are you involved in your community? Who do you know within your community? What have you done there that's going to be attractive to us as a franchise or that's ultimately going to help your business? Because I can't teach you or show you how to show up in your own community. So I'm, I sort of skirted the, your question of is it only a multi unit operator? And again, I would, I would say uh, if if I'm speaking to an individual, if maybe they don't have a restaurant background. I would certainly encourage them, or I would hope they would encourage themselves to recognize that they need that capability as part of their team. Uh, and by the way, I, this is a team effort. I, you know, I think the days of having sort of a single person running an operation, I think those days are changing. And today, the opportunity to bring in a, a group of people who are you know bringing these sort of different levels of expertise to build out an infrastructure is a great way to go. So. I hope I'm casting a larger net, but also being very transparent and open with folks that I'm talking to. as what we believe success looks like.
0: I'm going to give you a minute at the end to tell the audience how they can find you. But before I do that... I ask my guests each week if there is anything at all that I should have asked or that you wished I'd have asked and didn't.
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. From a, uh, if I may, maybe it's not a question you would ask, but I would like to just share a personal antidote if that's okay.
0: If you think it's important enough that you want to share it, let her rip.
1: I just wanted to share with you in the group that I'm very proud to say that I just became a grandfather in October. Now that's worth sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I have not met my granddaughter because uh, she lives in New York City. However, I'm heading out in two weeks. Obviously, we've all been impacted by this um, by this pandemic, but I'm looking forward to being my
0: granddaughter. Well, congratulations to you for that. And I'm certainly happy you chose to share that with us as well. How about some contact information and let audience be able to catch up with you on the other side of this discussion
1: absolutely so a few different ways to track me down one is the easiest way is through our website noodles.com i have a franchising section so just go to noodles.com franchising you'll find an email you can email me directly you'll find a short form inquiry form if you want to complete that information that's fine as well or if you just like to reach out to me through linkedin i'm always happy to make connections to my peers to franchise the industry providers and suppliers. And even if you're a franchisee and maybe you're not looking to add a brand today, but just want to have a connection and start talking, I'm open to that as well.
0: Fabulous. John, I can't thank you enough for sharing so much with us in the short span of time that was allowed to us to get this done today. But I'm looking forward to learning more about both you and Noodles as time goes on. There's that 1,015 joint connections, but there's another 6,000 in my LinkedIn family for you to get acquainted with as well. So let's make sure we don't make this a static conversation. I'd like to keep the dynamics of this conversation moving forward and keep checking in with you from time to time.
1: I would love that, Stan. I really appreciate you reaching out to us. As a
0: postscript, I might add that following my interview with John, I learned that Noodles & Company recently announced the appointment of Sean Taylor as an independent member of its board of directors. So who is Sean Taylor and why is this momentous? Sean Taylor is a franchisee, not just any franchisee, but a proven leader in the restaurant industry, who most recently was the president and operating partner of the very successful Zaxby's Houston LLC, which he sold in 2019. Sean Taylor has opened, developed, and operated as many as 35 Taco Bell locations and served on Taco Bell's franchise management advisory board. He was even a part of a group of business leaders that acquired the Houston Astros, which they sold again. In 2017. My point in all this is that you don't put a franchisee of this caliber on your board and add talent like John Ramsey to your executive team unless you're dead serious about franchising. I'm sure you'd agree. Well, that's it for today. Next week we'll do it all again. But until then, please keep making great things happen for your franchisees, yourselves, and all of those that you support and care about. Keep working smarter and hitting the gas harder as you punch through whatever gets in your way. I'm Stan Friedman, and as always, I'm wishing you the best, the very best, of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today, or as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.